ops, and a little bit of paranoia. Welcome to the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. Welcome to the show, folks. And I just got to say that only Uncle Mark would headbang with an amiibo from uh, Animal Crossing and a Nintendo Switch controller. Yes, Tom Nook, you go over Is here. Is that how now. they talk in the game, Miles? Yeah, yeah. No actual words. No actual, they just... Sounds, it's very, it sounds very Nintendo. All right. It is. So, as you guys might have guessed, I'm joined tonight by your good friend, Uncle Mark. I hope I'm your good friend. Hey, folks. Everybody's friend. Everybody's uncle. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes you don't want that uncle. You don't want that uncle? At Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. I don't know. I think Sometimes you'd rather he had stayed home. I feel like you might be a blast at Thanksgiving dinner, especially if you brought the big green egg and you cooked the turkey on it. You and a bunch of my scout friends think that that egg is portable, and I hate to tell you, it is totally not. I uh, I mean, I could cook the meat and bring the meat. I didn't really, I mean, this was a completely hypothetical statement, and I didn't really put any consideration into whether the egg was portable or not. It's not. Portable. I kind of don't expect it to be. At least not any more portable than any other grill. It's actually very, very heavy. Yeah. Because it's basically a big friggin' piece of, well, ceramic. Oh, it's ceramic. Is, That's right. It's not just like... It's essentially stone. It's not just like... Like it would like, be lighter if it was made of metal. Right. Because the metal would be thinner. Yeah. But that... It's like... Now... So now, it's over... It's like, I think, 100 pounds at least. Now it's starting it's to occur to me why that thing works so damn well. It's the stone. It's the, the clay or whatever it's made of. Ceramic. Clay, ceramic, yeah. Well, ceramic is kind of clay. Komoto style. Made of clay. Clay that's been fired is ceramic. You're fired! <laughs> or, you know, fired in a kiln. Totally different kind of fired. Anyway, yeah. so uh, you guys huh. didn't come here to hear me f uh, have revelations about uh, what material the big green egg is made out of and how heavy it might be. Uh, what you came here for was for the Iron System in podcast. And we do not intend to disappoint. Tonight, Mark and I have this crazy idea. Will not disappoint. Will not disappoint. So I have talked I hope. for like, what is it, a year and a half or two years now? Probably longer than you talked about that damn hex light thing you built. It's right there, man. Yeah, I know. It's right, right there. That's why I said it. It's awesome. It's, it's all, it's, I have it in fire mode. I can see that. It's great. Is that the mode it goes into when you start the show, or you have to manually set that, or does Home Assist take? Care I do of have that? it set in Home Assistant to uh, set the lights and set that to fire mode, because you know whatever. That's just the mood that I was in when I set it up. Dementor would be proud, indeed. So anyway, I was going to say <laughs> that for forever it seems now we've talked about having a special live stream in off show hours. Uh, where we take those Red Hat 5.0 discs that I found in my collection of CDs from when I first got started with Linux and try to install them in a VM live, right? Well, that obviously hasn't happened, mainly because it's really tough to try to organize something like that on a night that's not a show night, um, along with family obligations and, like, kids' sports and, like, work and all kinds of stuff. Sports ball. That just get in the way. So um, we decided we're going to do something similar to that tonight on the show. So I hope you guys enjoy it. We're going to try to make this not a you have to be on the live stream or the video to enjoy this sort of conversation. We're going to... The alcohol will make sure of that. Right. So we're going to narrate some of it. Uh, we're going to try not to depend too much on the screen share that I'm going to show in a moment here. But Mark and I are also going to talk a bit about just kind of where Linux has come since we started, right? And obviously, we didn't start at the very beginning. We didn't start the fire. When uh, when was the first kernel released? When did when was the when was you know, that epic it's time? Funny. I, I'm I'm looking that up right. Now. I know I know Linus was on like a message forum somewhere, not a message forum, even like a news group, wasn't it? A mailing list, and he's like, "Hey, I have this crazy idea where I'm going to try to make a free open source kernel based on Unix." I think it was or Minix was it? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually pulling up his note. Assuming this works. Jay Scar's already got it in the in the chat. August twenty fifth, nineteen ninety one. There we go. So, um, in nineteen ninety four was when the first Red Hat Linux release came out, and that's what kind of sparked this. 
because Mark had shared a link, and that's it. It's going to be in the show notes to a post from Red Hat just this past, what was it, October 29th, I think, is the date on the Dude, post. we are Red Hat. Dude, we are Red Hat Dude, Week. We are Red Hat Week, which, for those of you who don't know, we are Red Hat Week is kind of a big deal at Red Hat um, because it's right around, it's the week of Halloween. Because Halloween is significant for Red Hat. You want to tell them why, Not Mark? Not just because it's... Well, we like candy and spooky costumes well, that's and one all reason. that other stuff. But it's also the anniversary of the first commercial release of, of a Red Hat Linux. Right. So, you know. It was, the ho- it was called the Halloween release. Kind of a big so. deal for Red Hat. So around, during We Are Red Hat Week, there was this blog post made about the Red Hat 0.9 release, which happened back in 1994. And... Um, the author of the post, uh, I guess, had posted about this in 2019. And a bunch of people said, hey, do you still have the ISO? We'd like to see it and poke around with it and try it out, right? And uh, he didn't at the time. And he haunted it down. And for this release, or for this year's We Are Red Hat Week, he got the folks over at the Internet Archive to host it there. Because the Internet Archive loves hosting stuff like that. So Mark had this crazy idea. Why don't we try to install that in a VM during the show and see what happens? Well, I put a little bit of effort into trying to do that, and I just yeah. I couldn't get it to work. Um, it's I'm sure it's possible, and I'm sure I'm losing some nerd cred by giving up on it. <laughs> but uh, I just I just couldn't get it to work. So, um, and I think it had to do with the architecture that KVM was presenting to the VM. And to be honest, I think if you tinker with the architectures, you can probably get it to work. Um, Or maybe I'm way off. I don't know. But at any rate, uh, what I did do was go to a slightly more modern release, which is Red Hat 5.0. Now, this is not Red Hat Enterprise Linux 5.0 for... Yeah, that wouldn't wouldn't even be a challenge. That wouldn't even be a challenge. That's like still running in production, scarily enough, on some people's machines, (laughs) Right. Uh, Red Hat 5.0 is the first distro I ever installed. The first Linux distro I've actually, that's where I started. I, and like many people, I rabbit trailed to several other distributions. And then I eventually came back to Red Hat because it's the one that I liked the most. Um, and now I work at Red Hat. So, you know, worked out. But for those of you who don't know the, 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 why that's significant, why Red Hat 5.0 is significant versus Red Hat Enterprise Linux 5.0 or 5.1 or, you know, whatever that you might be a little more familiar with. Uh, Red Hat Linux, that first release, was under the name just Red Hat Linux. And it was just like any other Linux distribution. And if you aren't familiar with what a distribution is, um, I don't know if we have enough time to really go into all that. But basically, because Linux is free software, you can spin it and re-release it under your own... Uh, your own distribution, right? And there was this thing people referred to as the distro wars because, you know, every software argument has to be called a war, like the browser wars sort of and the OS war, wars right. and all that kind of stuff. Um, sorry, Mark, if I look uh, distracted, it's because the the scene in which uh, I'm going to switch to at a moment does not have your video fixed like I did before the stream started. So I'm fixing mm-hmm. that. But anyway, um, Red Hat was just another distro. And I say that like it's insignificant, just another distro. Well, there was, you know, things like Red Hat Linux, there was Yellow Dog Linux, there was uh, SUSE Linux, um, and then there were like variants of BSD and all that stuff. But again, we're not going to go too deep into all that. But Slackware. But somewhere, was it the, what, early 2000s or late 90s? I think it was early 2000s. Uh, Red Hat decided to sort of enterprise up Red Hat Linux, and release it as, what was it, Red Hat Advanced Server? Or Red Hat Enterprise Linux Advanced Server? There was Advanced Server in there. And um, then the the sort of quote-unquote desktop distro, or the free distro, became Fedora. So then there was this split, where Fedora was sort of one trail you could go down for just free Linux, like everybody intended, and then there was RHEL, or Red Hat Advanced Server, or whatever they were calling it at the time, that you could pay Red Hat, and you would basically get a, a hardened and enterprise-ready uh, Linux distri- distribution. So that's where 
Red Hat Enterprise Linux, foo, like 5.0, uh, comes into play, right? So that's just like the fifth release of the Red Hat Enterprise Linux fork, right? And then Fedora Linux becomes Red Hat Enterprise Linux, you know, every so often. And that's how this, that's how this whole ecosystem works. I tell you all that to, to, to sort of just give you an idea of, of what we're looking at today, right? So Red Hat Linux, and this, this is my Red Hat Linux 5 disk, for those of you that are looking at the stream, looks very similar to, we were just having this discussion before between Mark and I, uh, Red, he, Mark has a Red Hat Enterprise Linux or Red Hat Linux 5.1 disk. It looks just like this one, but my 5.1 disk looks different and it's got this cool, I think this one may be officially from Red Hat software where this one is Mac. says it's from Macmillan, Macmillan publishing, which is a book, right? Part. So as you might expect, like some of the, some Linux distros were released along with books Right, so that must be what happened here. I don't know. I don't know the history. Yeah, you, we have to find some historian at Red Hat to tell us this. We 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 actually have some folk at Red Hat who would know. Yeah, well, we're going to have to ask go them. Way back. We'll have to get them on the show to yeah. talk about this. I'll see what I can we do. Got, we totally got to do that. But anyway, th I like the styling on this disc better. I just think it looks cool. But this one, I actually got a Red Hat and a Red Hat Linux book with, and it came in a box. Unfortunately, I didn't save the box. Mark, however, saved the box. You want to show your box off? Oh, hey, Not now. Not that kind of stream. Yeah. No, so this is this is the box, and, and I actually ordered this when I worked at Merck. I actually had a budget to buy stuff and ordered it. It was in our purchasing system. I I forget exactly how that got populated, but I was actually able to order this. And it came with a um, came with a, a package that has two CDs. the the basic Linux the the one CD that actually has Red Hat Linux on it, and the other one that's Linux applications, which has things like uh, Vital Crisp and Word Perfect Seven and Tripwire and DB Maker and a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, my, so my application disk looks just like the OS disk in my case. It's just disk number and, two. And I, have, and I have no idea if these were actually vetted or fully supported third-party apps that worked with Red Hat, but the disk itself is right here. And you can see friendly Shadow Man yeah. ready for you to ready for you to install them yep. on your In computer. fact, did yours come with two operating system disks, one of which contained it, contained the source, the other one contained the binaries? Because I think that's hey. that disk I just showed you. This is the applications disk that I have, which is actually very similar to the one so, you just showed off. There's a disk, there's a there's potentially a disk missing in the middle of this thing, which could have been the sources. I don't know. It says, it says on the back of the box it includes three CD-ROMs, but there's only one. There's only one regular Red Hat disk in here, so I'm, I'm thinking that middle disk, is probably the one that had the source code. Yeah, mine. My five has two disks. They look almost identical. I'm almost positive disk number two is just the source, because that's a very Linux May thing the to do. Be with you. Right, right. Because the GNU public, you know, the uh, the uh, GPL you're obligated to provide the source code. And back when we bought these, this would have been the late nineties. Yeah. Downloading the source was not always quick or easy. And, and with boxed Linux distributions, they would often just include the source on a disc because yep. for the company that was legally obligated to provide the source code, that was probably the cheapest, the cheapest way to do it. Right. Because the other now, way would require running some sort of a service somewhere where you could right. go get the source whenever you wanted to. And then of course, maintain that that's always available. Right. So, or at least reasonably. Now, what I did toss in the show notes is there's a very, a very, um, uh, easy to read history of various Linux distros article. And the three, the three big distributions that were around right around the time of original Red Hat were, of course, Slackware, uh, SUSE, and um, Debian. Right. Slackware. Forgot about Slackware. And, and Slackware was actually, Slackware, I think, 
is pretty much the oldest current active distribution. Like there might have been little crappy distributions before Slackware, but they're they're no longer around. But Slackware actually goes back to 1992. Nice. So right, and Slackware has a bit of a reputation of being difficult for um, newer, you know, newer users because it super customizable my my actual linux journey started with red hat on my work thinkpad and then there was this easier to use linux that i dallied with a little bit at one point i was it mandriva it was something with an app mandrava 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 mandrake it might have been mandrake yeah uh mandrake but then i mandrake was a derivative of red hat if i remember correctly it might have been, yeah. but the distro that I landed on for the longest time was Slackware, yeah, because I really liked rolling the sort rolling my own packages from source code. You download the tarballs, extract the tarballs, run the configuration, pull the other requirements that the configuration you know says, "Hey, we're missing this," and then compile it and then install it and you would basically just you felt like you know mondo nerd so so that actually got me kind of addicted to slackware which i had running on the thinkpad 600 for quite a long time yeah i i also had i owned a pa- i had a power mac that i got from merc they didn't need it any longer and i set that up in my living room as a web based uh, MP3 player, which was running, I think, Yellow Dog. I actually said to heck with Mac OS on it and installed Yellow Dog Linux. I didn't know Yellow. That's right. Yellow Dog was the one that would run on. It ran on, on the Power Mac. PC. It was pretty tight. So. So I w- I had speakers hooked up to it. I would open up a web browser on my ThinkPad, go to my hop, you know, access my. Uh, my MP3 jukebox on the Yellow Dog Linux Mac and blast totally legal MP3s that I absolutely did not pirate via Wampline oh, yeah. Wire. Yeah, totally legal. Like those existed. In back my then. defense, in my defense, I spent a lot of time ripping my CDs into MP3s, and I still have a lot of those in my MP3 library. That's on my. Uh, that's on this very phone. It's funny how that worked out, and you know we could go into that at some point too if really if we really wanted to. But um, yeah, that was definitely a thing I did too. I copied a bunch of my MP3s or a bunch of my CDs to MP3 so I could put them onto various devices, and I still have that library you know today. Yeah, I th- I think I can say this hand to heart. Maybe I ripped some CDs using a Macintosh at one point, but most of the stuff I ripped was using Linux. Yeah. I don't think I've ever ripped a CD on Windows. Yep. Yep. I think that is true for at least where mine started as well. It's always been easier to do things like that, to copy things like that on Linux because I don't even know why. It just it is. <laughs> it just generally is. It All right. Is. So I've I've transitioned the stream to something that has a desktop share from actually another okay. machine here on my desktop or on my desk. Yeah. And I don't know how read how readable it is, but I'm gonna do my best here. So it is illegible on my PC that I'm streaming I bet on. It, However, if I if I turn 90 degrees and look at the stream <laughs> and look at the Twitch stream, it actually looks pretty okay. That's pretty cool. But then then people are looking at the side of my head. Yeah. So I'm gonna try to spend most of my time pretending that I pretending can see you can see what on. I'm talking about. All right. So but mostly I'm going to drink bourbon and make smart. I mean, remarks. I'm going to, I'm going to spend a lot of my time looking over this way too, because that's where the machine is, but uh, well, whatever. All right. So what you guys so, are looking at on the stream is my, uh, it's basically my work machine. It's a Fedora 34 machine running uh libvert because that is the virtualization platform that comes out of the box on Fedora it's the one I have run for so long. I, I ran, you know, enterprise-grade virtualization on Libvirt before I got into Rev, which is running on Libvirt, by the way. Um, right. So it's, it's just different crap wrapped around It's it. what I'm most familiar with, right? 
So that's why I'm using it. Right. So uh, it is a very, time, very flexible. Time out, Nathaniel. What? Go right ahead. Okay. What are we timing out on? So we can't just declare victory when we install Red Hat Linux 5. Oh, I've already done that. That's I know that works. So we're going to have to try to no. find something interesting to do with it. Once, uh, once we get it installed, you're right. So if you want to think on that, we feel free. Oh, I've got, I, I, I think I do have something on that. Okay. I, I think what we're going to want to do is we're going to want to get, get Red Hat Linux installed properly, get X working. Oh my God. And, and browse <laughs> to Red Hat's website. Dude, we're going to be here all night if you want to get X working, but we'll try. We'll try. How's Browse that sound? Browse to Red Hat's website. All right. So what I'm doing here is in What the... do you think, JSCAR? Is that doable? Is that reasonable? Yeah, it's, it's probably not reasonable, but we can try. Anybody else in chat? So uh, what I've got here is the configuration for the virtual. Lynx VM. is cheating. We need to use a graphical browser. Just, look, just getting the network up is going to be fun, okay? All right. So I've got... What I've done here to try to make this easier is I've gone with a very simple video driver called just VGA. Uh-huh. That should work. And we we don't need fanciness. Right. X and two fifty six colors is fine. Look, my box says that new new DHCP DHCP easily install on Windows NT network. Oh my God. This is going to be so fun. getting the network working should be fine. Should be a snap. Just except, need, except you just need, here's what you're not yeah. thinking about. I am thinking about it. I just haven't said it yet. Yeah. So right now in, in my, my VM configuration, I'm looking at the options we have for emulated network cards. You need to find the oldest friggin' card you can find. We've got E1000. We've got RTL 8139 and Vert IO. I don't think any of these are going to be supported by Red Hat hmm. 5.0. Hmm. So normally when I'm emulating an old machine like this, I would try for an yeah. NE2000. Yeah. But it's not listed. It isn't here. Uh. The RTL 8139 might have a chance. That's a real tech card. I, I really don't think it's going to work, though. But we can try it. We, yeah, okay. Okay, I've got an IDE disk specified because there's no way I'm going to futz around with SCSI controllers in this thing. I've got the IDE CD-ROM. I'm right now going to connect my... I actually made an image of my rel, or my uh, Red Hat 5.0 disk. I didn't just go get no. this from Internet Archive. I'm doing this right. All right, now we're going to tell it to boot... Oh, yeah, supply the changes. Now we're going to tell it to boot from the CD-ROM. And we're going to hit the play button. And here here it is. So now, I don't know who's installed RHEL lately, but you're going to recognize some of these screens. And that's that's kind of neat. Right? So here we go. Oh, that's the enter button on the wrong keyboard. Here I go. Oh, no. I don't know if I just broke something by hitting enter. I hope not. <laughs> I, I see blurry scrolling white text over here. And I'm waiting for the stream to catch up. So this the stream, and this this is life is but a dream. This is this is part of the fun, right? It's right now. It's asking me if I have a color monitor or not. Like, <laughs> what what asks you that anymore? <laughs> well, you do. Yes, I do. So now it's going to go to color, right? And look at this. This is is this this is this this is like the same welcome screen you get if you go to install Rel eight today. So, are we able to pick our installation language at this point? And if so, is Redneck an option? I don't yet? think it's. That I was, don't think we can. That well, let's, that was. Well, they use that to test the localization options. Yeah, we will find out in a moment. All right, so the Redneck option. So if you install Rel, I think Rel eight. I know Rel seven in text mode. You get this exact same. Maybe not, the wording may be different now, but the same style an screen. My anaconda don't want none unless you got buns, huh? Well, we can pick a keyboard layout. That's simple enough. We're going to keep that U.S. though. Nope, can't pick a language. Yeah. Oh well, it, that might have been that might have been a rel thing. Could be, could be. All right, so we're going to do local CD-ROM, and it's it's it, insert insert my drive or my disk. There we go. Now it's checking it out. And you've done this part. I have done this part, but I'm doing it again. Uh, basically, I'm doing it again so that we can relive the memory. 
Because it, when it gets to the point where it's formatting the discs, it takes forever. Touch me, it's so easy to leave. Okay. okay. We're kind of up on the second anniversary of the Cats movie, which was oh, right. truly horrific. Oh, the new Cats movie. Yes, it was truly. The new Cats movie. So it is brutal. This was, this is cool. Okay. When I picked up Red Hat 5, I did some reading beforehand, right? And... um. I read a news article, I forget where it was even from, on the internets uh, about, Slash dot, about this great advancement they had made, or that Red Hat software specifically had made by in by incorporating Disk Druid. Disk Druid is the, the tool that I get to partition. partition my disk with right now, right? This is brand new, right? So brand new as of 1997 or whatever. Yeah, 1997 right there that is this. That was a big deal. It was a big deal. It's... Because the only other option is FDisk, which is a very unuser-friendly <laughs> partitioning. Yeah, but you know what? Method, right? F FDisk, FDisk is like that old guy down at the gas station who has very few words, but he just he knows his stuff. Oh yeah, don't get me wrong. FDisk is a perfectly fine utility if you know what you're doing. There was a point in my sysadmin career that I could walk through FDisk almost blindfolded, right? Because it's very, it is, it is, uh, it might even be scriptable. Could you script FDisk? I don't remember. I don't remember. But anyway, DiskDruid is graphical, right? Now you can see I've already got partitions laid out on this. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just label them where to mount. Uh-huh. This was back in the <laughs> days, and I remember the first time I had a 10 gig hard drive, mm -hmm. I couldn't get the machine to boot because my boot partition was too large. It was outside of the the first oh, no. so many meg or whatever of the uh, of the, so, the the disk, right? So this is when you had to start putting boot in its own partition, which was always been a good practice, but you didn't have to do it. It is a good practice. Until so your disks got too large. What file system are we using? EXT2. Or Linux native, uh, as Distruid tells us. And I have no but idea it, what the growable flag does. There's a growable flag here. I don't know if you noticed that. I think that would just lead to tears. Probably. In at the, <laughs> at the time that this came in out. The, in the time frame we're talking about, anything that had to do with disk compression or resizable file systems was a bad idea. <laughs> I yeah, I wouldn't trust it. All right. So um, This also should this also is, I believe, pre LVM. It is. It is. This this will lay down flat out. Uh, this will be just static. Yep. Classic. Yep. All right. So now let's uh, let's take HDC six and give that a slash mount point. Uh, the other one is swap. Oh, slash. Yeah. Good old slash. And then uh, we're gonna hit OK. Hat. And it's gonna ask us what to format and whatnot. I'm gonna go ahead and tell it to go ahead and format them. But then once we get this running. I'm probably well. I don't really want to. Well, we'll talk a you bit of all really formatting and stuff. What do you there is there is a piece at the end of this which is going to bring back so many memories for you, Mark. It did for me. Oh, it's boy. another piece that was new for Red Hat 5.0. All right, so this is going to take a while, but we we will chat while while it's formatting these discs. Time to break out a chocodile. Yeah. All right, so now we get to pick software. Um, and the, the this ISO image is 300 meg megabytes. Yeah, 300 megabytes. Um, and these are all the the options we've got. Things like printer support, the X window system, mail, www, and news tools. <laughs> so install the X window system. Please. I am. It is. It's it's going to be there. I can't say. Sorry. Um, let's see here. Uh, do, you, do you remember Real Player? Uh, yes. There's a real media client and server listed in this box, or in this, this installation. Do we want to install that for all time's sake? Probably not. Look, I don't know if we're going to even get X working. There's an X Games. We should install X Games because we might be able to play X Absolutely. Build. Absolutely. Uh, do console it. Console games. Do, do it. To X Multimedia do console support. games so we can play robots. Print server. Do you want a, you want a cup server on there? Dial-up workstation and networked workstation. So, put 
both of those on there. They're there. We might be able to play some games. They're there by default. Like, I mean, nerd games. Nerd games. Right. Okay. Like, I wonder if we could... We might be able to do something. All right. This could be... So, nerd. we've got Samba connectivity? SMB support? Like, I didn't even... Re- I didn't realize that SMB, that project, the Samba project, was this old. It is. IPX and network connectivity? This is fun. Anonymous FTP. You can install bind right from here. DNS name server. Web server. That would probably be Apache. Let's install that. Emacs. We don't need Emacs. Development tools and stuff. All right. Now we're going to go to OK. And it's going to start its stuff. Now, this is where it's going to take a little bit of time because it has to do some formatting. And the formatting took a while when I did this earlier. Um, But, so, uh, right. We're installing Red Hat 5 now. Or formatting file systems to install Red Hat 5 right now. Now, uh, I I picked up... Painting the inodes. What's that? Painting the inodes. Painting the inodes. I picked up this distro at a computer show. You remember computer shows back when all of us nerds would get together at a fairground somewhere and walk around and look at software and buy computers and computer components? You may not have been in the area then. You might have still been... uh... The Trenton Computer Festival was a big deal. That was a a computer show that would happen at Trenton State College, which is now the College of New Jersey, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But it used to be called Trenton State College, and they had one of the oldest computer festivals um, ever since personal computers became a thing. I remember going to one in the 70s, which was the first time I saw the Atari 800 with that game. I think it was, was it Starfire? Or Star, Okay. It was, it was, it was like this ridiculously cool Star, uh, hybrid arcade strategy space game on the Atari 800. And, you know, obviously all the Apple, all the Apple II stuff was there. And then later on, my friend Jay went to Trenton State for college. And one year of the computer festival, he actually got me and my friend Jack uh, jobs working it for the weekend. It was fun. And that's when I also bought, I bought a, uh, cause I didn't really have enough money to buy a proper graphics card for the old flight simulator stuff on, on my PC. I bought a Hercules card, which pretend the operating system would think was actually a color graphics card, but it was basically a monochromatic VGA card meant to be I used. I remember the Hercules you know, card. Black Hercules monochrome. I don't think I ever yeah. saw one. I remember seeing them referenced, when, you know, like when installing games and stuff. Um, right. They were a way to use graphics without having to pay for a color monitor or a real color video card. Crazy. <laughs> when you had no money. Yeah, right. Right. No, I, mean, I just, had I had very little. Just thinking back to those days. I mean, you're talking some days that are before my time, but um, thinking back to those early computer gaming days when you were working in DOS and you didn't have an operating system that supported your hardware, you each game had to have compatibility for the hardware that you wanted to run on. Oh yeah. It was like, "Oh, yeah, setting, you've got you set the sa- you set the sound card up separately for each friggin' game." Right. Right, and it was the it was in the game or in the setup program for the game, right? Where you would Absolutely. you would tell it, here's the DMA and the IRQ for my sound card, and this is the type of DOS, card it is, and it's this yeah. how many bits it can <laughs> it can process. DOS, liter- yeah, DOS literally just got the computer yep. booted, and it was how you loaded other stuff. Yeah, yeah. There was no such thing as as a universal wide video driver for DOS stuff. You didn't see that crap until Windows, right? Uh, for most people, I mean OS two, sure, but like three people ran OS two. It's funny this this collection of CDs that I dug my Ralph my Red Hat five disc out of. Um, mm-hmm. I have a burned copy of OS two Warp three in there. We should try to install that on the stream too. Oh my god, <laughs> I tried to run Warp on a three eighty six that had some hardware issues. Because remember the no money thing? Yeah. Shortly after I was married, I had a three eighty six that had some hardware issues. I actually ended up scavenging a lot of hardware from 
micro warehouse, the one company I worked for, they were okay with that. But I never had like good consistent hardware until I finally bought a, a Macintosh Performa using the employee purchase program. Oh, believe me, I know the uh, the situation you're talking about. That was kind of cool having a having a non janky computer. <laughs> Crazy stuff. So, right? is this another virtual console on the VM? Yeah. Well, so this is another. Uh, this is the VM I installed earlier. While we're waiting for that to format, I'm just going to basically boot okay. this up to the login prompt, and there we are at localhost. Now, I set this other machine up with the exact same network adapter. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the wrong, the wrong keyboard again. Where did I just type at? I don't even know. Like, what am I? What am I messing up by doing that? Apparently nothing. I didn't just put a root password into uh, into the stream or something. Doesn't look that way. All right. <laughs> not Hopefully not like not I have a production root password on this little VM. God, I would hope not. You can probably guess what the password is. I'll just probably red hat. <laughs> what? No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> or password. All right. So here we are. Um, again, the, the, the one that we are, were, that we were installing, let me move my mic here so you guys can hear me better. The one that we were installing is still running in the background. And this is one I installed earlier. It's just like when Rachel Ray puts a cake in the oven and then pulls one out that she started before the show. Same, right. same deal. Um, so here we are in Root's home directory and, um, we've got no network set up just because I wasn't able to get it working. <laughs> Um, to be honest, I don't even know if I remember how to set up the network interface on a Red Hat 5 box. This is that long ago. So I'm guessing NMTUI is not a thing. Well, no, there's no network manager. There's no network manager. They're like setup. There is. Ah, wait. Mouse config. System services. Sound config. Uh. Time config, X configurator, file system well, configurator. How about we get X working? Hang on. We can try. So I did, and this is what I want to show you in the other, the other installation when it gets there. Uh, I did try. There's this thing. Do you remember during the setup uh, program? There's this thing called Metro X. Eh. It was a setup program yeah. that would launch at the end of the setup setup uh, procedure, um, but anyway, it didn't help because if I try to run X, it uh, pukes and brings me back with our with our old friend. Yeah. The the X won't start errors. Um, so let's let's look at uh, var log X errors. Let's see what it tells us. No such process. That's fun. Let's go back, go back, go back. Can't connect to X server. Well, did you did you do the X configurator in the setup? Well, I did it during during setup. Let's try it here. Let's see what happens. Yeah, please. X configurator. What's it gonna give us? This program will create a basic X XF eighty six config file. Okay, let's try this. All right. Choose a card. Um, all right, so we're trying to pick an, uh, a graphics adapter now. Is there just like a generic VGA? That's what I'm looking for. We got Cirrus. Was Cirrus an option in my... I don't remember. Diamond. I can barely read. Remember Diamond? Like, yeah, I do remember Diamond. Like, Just scroll all the way down to the bottom. I'm, I'm going to G. There's, there's your Hercules adapters. Yeah, generic, Hercules. Generic VGA compatible. Let's try that. That's what I would go with. And that's all it asked me. Nothing else. See what happens. Nope. Womp womp. Womp womp. So, it should have made an xconfig file. Yeah. Probably in Roots Home Directory. Well, no, these didn't it put these in Etsy X11? It might have. Well, let's let's look. Yeah, there's nothing. Well, there's an X defaults. No, that's just like preference stuff. Wow, this is like a bridge. 
like a bridge when a company is a major problem oh yeah right it's like hey we're gonna sit around and listen to people one type. guy's typing yeah one guy's typing trying to solve problems all right so oh metro x config there's our x config file oh god the stanzas i remember the yeah, stanzas. yeah right Oh, we've got Vim. That's good. I didn't know how old Vim was or if I had to use Vi on this one. Or VI. I don't know. Am I pronouncing that wrong? Sorry, folks. I always call it VI. Not V. It's not V. No. V. It's never V. Ah, I hit a button. Shouldn't have. All right. I wish I could be helpful, but I legitimately can't read anything. Monitor zero, generic, 640 by 480. Oh, my God, the her, her, <laughs> the H-Sync and V-Sync. Remember having to specify those? Right, and if you weren't careful, and kids, this is something like, that will blow your mind. Yeah. Remember, we were all using CRT monitors, the ones with the tubes made of glass. Yeah. And if you, if you use the wrong settings in your X configuration file and the refresh rate, you could actually melt down the monitor. Yeah, you could actually like, you like could light, your, light, light your monitor on fire. All right, so the, the other one has finished the software installation, so I wanted to go through the rest of that procedure. Sure. So uh, PS2 mouse found, yay. Uh, do you want to emulate That's... two buttons? I think I have a middle button on this. I do, so we're going to say no. So this is Metro X, right? Remember I told you Metro X? This All copy right. of Red Hat Linux includes Metro X from MetroLink. It even gives us the phone number for Metrolink. Should we call up Metrolink and tell them we can't get we X might, Windows working? We might be about to call. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, this is Red Hat's. Is that is that is that phone number still active? We should try that. See what happens. One eight hundred fifty two Stern. Fifty two Stern. This isn't. The, it's not this then. <laughs> no, that's the Howard Stern. Show. Oh, I get it. I didn't think so. <laughs> I just trolled Nate, and he, it went right. You over did. His you did. I don't listen to the Howard Stern show, man. I haven't in a very long time. No, I have not either. All right. So like, this is asking: Do we want to install Metro X on your computer? I wonder if maybe we don't want to, and then we'll have a better time setting up X. I, I, since it's since it's Lord Farquaad on the first one on the first pie, I would say let's not put the same spice on this pie. Metro X is licensed software. Your purchase of Red Hat Linux entitles you to one user license for this software. I, you may not install I, and run Metro X on more than one computer. Like, anybody <laughs> didn't do that. <laughs> okay, we're going to say no. All right, we're going to find the same generic VGA adapter then. I think so. What What are we emulating? Does it, did the VM say or not Just really? Just VGA. Okay. Super VGA? Just VGA. Because remember, there was Super yep. VGA. Yep. Maybe that's what the VM is using without telling Generic us. Generic VGA compatible. Generic VGA. You want me to tr try to find an SVGA instead? Yeah, let's do that. Well, there's only just, just the only generic VGA compatible here does not list SVGA. Well, keep scrolling down to like S. We're in crazy town. Now. Yeah, we are. S3. Remember S3? No. You don't remember S3? Not very well. This is this was before uh, S3. I, well, storage. the problem is, yeah, Amazon's taken over the term. Yeah. S3 Verge was a graphics adapter that I remember. I believe you. Now there's no Super VGA. No SVGA, huh? I remember Cirrus being a compatible one. Unsupported VGA compatible? That would be a YOLO type thing. Wouldn't it, though? And we can always change this after install. We can. We're going to try that. And that's it. That's so the only question Metro. <laughs> Is this a little post-install routine here? Like, did it install more shit? Oh, what's it asking? Monitor setup. What kind of monitor do we want to... Is there, like, a generic monitor we can specify? Well, does is there one that's, like, 640 by 480? Because I guarantee 
um, Lenovo laptop display is not going to be <laughs> on no. the list. <laughs> NEC, oh my gosh. We're going to go with generic, I think. You kind of have to. Generic monitor, generic multi-sync. Oh my god, Gateway 2000 Crystal Scan. That's what I had. I remember this. <laughs> did it have the cow pattern on it? No, not on the devices they didn't. No, the boxes did. We're going to go with generic monitor and hope for the best. Oh. Screen configuration. Probe. Let's see if it finds us anything that isn't an error. <clears throat> X configurator will now run the X server you selected. All right, cross your fingers. There was an error executing the server. <laughs> you should try configuring the video card manually. <laughs> oh, my God. How much memory do we have? Uh, we're going to say, oh, my God, the options are 256K up to 8 meg. Could you imagine an 8 meg video card today? I don't think it would even run Windows. That's crazy. <laughs> we'll say a meg. I don't know. <laughs> Which clock chip do we have? Uh, uh, none. <laughs> an error no this isn't gonna work mark we we could spend no. all night figure if trying to figure this out it's not gonna work do you want to set up dial-up networking you don't have a mode oh sorry this is this is land this is land configuration let's let's say yes did you go through this on the other one i did and it did not work but Oh, they have the Intel Ether Express. You think that would be the E1000? Maybe. Can't find your device anywhere. Gee, thanks. Check behind the couch. Yeah, is it behind the couch? I think, yeah. The hardware we're emulating just might be too friggin' new. I think you're probably right. E-Link, E2000 incompatible, but that's not in the list. Token ring. Should we should we should we do some token ring? Ooh, SMC. I used to have SMC SMC cards. Your Express Pro? Never never did token ring. You needed very specific hardware for that. Yeah, I can't find I don't, I don't even remember how to look for hardware when we're done. Yeah, I don't remember either. And it won't even let me select it and then all right, we'll go cancel. So, for those of you who are listening to the recording, yeah, <laughs> this is we we've managed to install Red Hat Linux five it, it onto the actual disk drive, right? Yep. And in the the one pie that Rachel Ray cooked earlier, the first VM, you know, full command line, you know, login as root, you can see stuff. But we've not been able to get X Windows working, nor do we seem to have a compatible network driver. And both, there's a couple of things going on, right? The network might be problematic. I think it will be. <laughs> we, if we were good enough at some of this stuff, we might be able to suss a pretend network connection using some sort of weird-ass serial port or something. Oh, I mean, absolutely, but, that's an option. We don't have time to do that live on the show. I've had too much bourbon already, because I would need to be at 120% to pull that off. Right. The other thing is, we don't really know, from a graphics perspective, what the compatibility gap is. Right. Because what are the options with the graphics? So the options from a VM standpoint are... Bosch, B-O-C-H-S. I don't even recognize that. QXL, which is Spice. RAM FB, VGA, and VertIO. I, I don't have a fucking clue what any of those are except Spice and VGA. Right. VertIO is the native uh, graphics for... Um, uh, for is Libre. that basically just a pass-through? VertIO? Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. I can't speak to it any any more deeply than that. It's like a virtualized layer. Because I think, yeah, either getting either the network or X working would be like, you know, a Christmas <laughs> come miracle. 
All right. So at any rate, Bummer. we have the OS installed. We've we've been at this, believe it or not, almost an hour already. So um, instead of instead of continuing to hammer on the uh, this VM, what have we learned tonight, Mark? We have learned that under certain conditions, trying to use really old stuff is a world of pain. It's a world of pain. Now. Um, I'm going to tell you, right, so I bought this distribution of Linux short, like right around the time I graduated high school, if I remember correctly. And in the summer yeah. between graduating high school and I had like a month off before I went to business school, which was where I went to continue my education. I had, I think it was like just over a month that I had available. I spent most of that month trying to get this working, Right. And uh, one of my right. friends to this day still jokes with me about how many times in one evening we reinstalled Linux because we didn't know we had no idea what to do once we were at a command prompt. So every time I wanted to try to reconfigure the graphics or whatever, I had to reinstall it because I didn't know how to get back to the configuration windows because there weren't any, as you can see right now, right? There aren't, there's no like two E configuration that works. Everything had to be done in flat text files or command line or whatever, right? So, so this is if we were if we were serious, like serious serious about getting this working, we'd be doing some digging. Yeah. Uh there's got to be information we could pull either from really old how-tos. So in the in the old days before before really you had a lot of these mega sites like uh, uh, Stack Overflow and 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 other resources we have today. The Linux community put together like Linux how tos. Yeah, which were they weren't YouTube videos, thank God. <laughs> they were they were written text instructions that you could read to to do common tasks, configuring, setting up, whatever. I'm trying to remember. So, Oh, it was so, the the Linux documentation project. Remember that the LDP? Yeah, I I remember that. That's where I got I most of my still info from. So we would dig into those, but I think what we really probably need, what we'd really probably need to do, is see if there are groups of nerds doing ancient Linux stuff today. I don't know where we would find such people, Mark. Uh, <laughs> running very old Linux. I'm just going to do a Google search on running very old Linux. Uh, we would have to, we'd have to dig into this a little bit. Yeah, I think you're right. But uh, this this has been a fun little experiment. I don't know what how it's going to turn out for an audio podcast, folks. But uh, I don't know. I'm going to try. But, <laughs> but there. But however, this leads me to this leads me to two things, and both of these are already in the show notes. But I did want to touch upon them because they're adjacent to the topic. Yeah. The first is the idea that you know Linux really does belong to everybody. That sounds really corny and really hippie, but it's true. Linux Linux is open and we all of us are entitled to to use free and open source software. So if you want to have your own really crazy Linux adventure, you could actually roll your own Linux distribution. Basically the idea is you start with a concept and you 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 literally build your Linux distribution from scratch. You 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 use uh, a development system. You you set up your development, your build environment, and then you start compiling. You compile the kernel. You compile the dev tools, and you get it to a point where the system, the distro you're building, becomes self-sufficient. Then you pivot to that, and you finish building and compiling and and basically at the end you have your own linux distribution that you've baked yourself and if you've done it right you've got all the files and all the steps in place to repeat it right you've got scripts or you've got uh you've got 
stage stage is saved and you stuff. You might call it a build environment. A build environment, right? <laughs> that and that that's something that has always intrigued me a little bit, but not something I've ever done a full bore build my own Linux from scratch. But the there's a web page for the Linux from scratch project essentially, which is a series of step by they're basically, you know, books, digital books that um you would you would uh you would read and follow. So on on that topic before you go on to the next one, which is an interesting video, the next the next thing you have linked <clears throat> is um the closest thing I've done to building a distro from scratch is building a Linux distro from source, which I did because I wanted to make a change to some of the core configuration. Uh, and that was Smoothball. Are you familiar with Smoothball? It's, a, it's an open source firewall application. It's basically an IP tables firewall, but it's a hardened Linux with IP tables on top of it and, and a, a very stripped down install. So you couldn't just go in and recompile a piece. You had to recompile the whole project, and then you'd end up with an ISO at the end that you can install from. Um, this was, I needed uh, an option added to IP tables, which you could build, you could add in at build time, but you you couldn't just turn on, right? So um, that was an interesting, interesting experience is the best way I think I can put it. I did get it done in the end, and it was fun. But uh, starting from scratch, that I've never done, and that does sound quite interesting. What I what I have done, um, I have built my own X Windows environment, my desktop environment from source. Mm -hmm. There was a uh, a desktop environment called Enlightenment, yep. which I really really liked, and that was definitely you pulled down the tarballs, you built it from source, yep. and you had to set everything up. Yeah. This and it could, and it was so customizable that it was like ridiculously. Cool. These early Red Hat systems uh, are where I first started tinkering with Enlightenment because there were. This is going back, folks. If you guys, if you guys have never touched a Linux distro this old, you really, you really missed out. Um, or maybe you didn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm scarred because <laughs> of it, and I'm just remembering it fondly. But. Um, when you when you got X running, it was very minimal. It wasn't the sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it was literally the the actual X cursor yeah. on a gray screen yeah. because you didn't have a window manager right. running properly. Right, and window managers were, and they still are today. Right, most people take it for granted. You'd log, you'd install Ubuntu or Fedora or whatever, and you've got a a desktop environment that's already ready to go. You just log in. And there you are at a at a very friendly desktop in most cases. Well, in these days, it was you ran a window manager on top of it, and there was and you technically you still are running a window manager on top of X. The architecture hasn't changed, right. but uh, the one that came out of the box was like what was it TWM? And I don't think it even yeah. had menus. It was like it it brought you into a desktop and a terminal. <laughs> And right, would, and a lot, would, and a lot of hard, a lot of hardcore nerds. The only reason they ran a window manager was to run multiple terminals at once. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of the popular applications, like you'd you'd use links to browse the web in text mode. Right, you would you you know you'd read Usenet using. Uh, oh God, what was the newsreader I used to use all the time? It, it, like, I don't know if I remember. <laughs> right. You wouldn't, you know, and, you know, for email, you'd use Pine yep. or... I remember I remember one of the first things I did after I got X working and I had dial-up networking working, which was a whole other thing, right? Trying to get a dial-up connection and, and an internet connection over it was um, I got Netscape 1.0 downloaded and installed from source because there yeah. was no browser, at least not that I could find. <laughs> Probably a Lynx. Lynx, yeah, there was Lynx. I'm sure there was Lynx. And maybe on that software disk was Netscape and RPM or something. But yeah, Netscape uh, 1.0, I, I would download and install from I source. I think this actually includes um, 
this I think claimed to include a web browser. Oh yeah, includes Netscape Navigator and Netscape Communicator, Netscape Communicator, which was a with email client. Oh my god! This was the days before all email was web based. Like you actually had a fat email yep. client yep. or a not so I fat. Would, email I would client. like to think that the folks listening to this show remember those days at least. But yeah. So anyway, what we were saying about Enlightenment was basically once you got a window manager up and running. Uh, the options that came out of the box were all very bland, and Enlightenment was just beautiful. And you can still go get that today. Oh, um, you could do crazy stuff with you it. You could do crazy stuff. I spent, like, days, probably, trying to figure out how to... That was one of the one of the early things I did was build Enlightenment from source, right? And it's just like following how-tos I online. Kinda, I kind of want to now build Enlightenment for my Fedora 34 box. You can. In fact, you might even be able to get RPMs of it. It is a much different project now than it used to be. And it's pretty. Yeah, yeah I'm going to have to look into that. The other, uh, the other thing I shared is even today, you know, Linux continues. One could argue Linux has taken over the world. But there's there's still, you know, when you're talking about regular consumer computing, gaming, computing, streaming, it's still a very Windows and even Mac centric world. So there's uh, Linus Tech Tips is a pretty popular uh, nerd site there. Two of the guys there are doing a challenge where they're trying to use Linux as their daily driver now and as daily driver. I use Linux as my daily driver at Red Hat, but that's easy because it's an R, it's my IRC client, terminal windows, and web browsers. Yeah, right. I don't. I the the amount of actual specific Linux apps I run are minimal. Um, these guys want to do gaming. They want to do streaming, like they do streaming for a living. They want right. to basically see how viable it is to install Linux onto their gaming level hardware. Yeah. Right. Now I with all the accelerated graphics and all the fancy sound and all that other stuff. And I linked the first video and there's some high comedy so far. I went and watched about the first half of that video before we recorded the show tonight because I saw you link it in there. And yeah. when I saw the title. Maybe not the title. The title's a little clickbaity because it's like Linux hates me, right? So of course that's gonna. Whatever. But it sure but, seemed that way. But uh, when I when I when I got to the point where he described the challenge, I'm like, that's easy. Running, thinking about where we came from, the system we just described and just tried to install, running that as a daily driver was next to impossible unless you threw away all of the computer entertainment of the era. You well, couldn't I, game yeah. on it. For anything other than, you know, like time waster clicky games, you couldn't play Radio like Doom or whatever stuff. things that were that were popular at the time. You could barely get on the Internet. And when you did, the web browsing experience was nowhere near. Well, I shouldn't say that you could get on the Internet. Linux freaking Unix and Linux at the, the time pretty much ran the Internet. But as a client, it was not a good experience. Right. Today. No, it's almost interchangeable. For a certain use case, right? Um, however, the gaming use case isn't it. You can game on Linux, but it's not going to be the same experience that you have in a, in a Windows or Mac environment. No. So uh, I do want to watch the rest of that and see how it went for them because he was having quite <laughs> quite the trouble. <laughs> there are some struggles going on. Yeah. And the um, the 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 reality. Um, the reality is that both of them ran into some really uh, janky situations. I got as far as the point the point where he was trying to install Steam. And uh, while he was installing Steam, he somehow broke the entire uh, graphics environment. Like the whole graphical, the whole GUI environment. It just, oh, yeah. just died. <laughs> He had trouble even getting oh, it to yeah. reboot, and then when he did, it got him to a, a command line, and it was like, "Yeah, what did you do?" It looked like it it completely removed X. It was insane. Yeah, and that was the that was the gaming friendly disk. Right, that was Pop OS. I know there's one of our viewers, Jscar, loves Pop OS. Yeah. Now I haven't been ballsy enough to 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 in, to use my main gaming rig as a Linux system. 
I tell you what, I am curious what would happen. Not only if I tried, like I have run Fedora on the laptop that I do the show on. Um, I've said before on the show that I run Windows on this machine primarily. In fact, only, I run only Windows on it at the moment because I use Adobe's Creative Suite to do my editing, my video editing and my audio editing for the podcast. And you just can't run them on anything but Mac or Windows, right? Now, yes, there's open source alternatives to those things. I'm sorry, but open source video editing, it just isn't where I need it to be. <laughs> Premiere is like an industry standard for a reason. Uh, so I run that yeah. for video editing. Audio editing, absolutely, you can do in Audacity. That's a great program. Uh, but video editing, I have not found one that I trust enough to uh, to, to do you my video. I anyway. use the, what, what's the open source one that even runs on Windows? What? Open source what? One shot, uh, open source video. Oh, um, I don't remember. I want to call it one shot, but that's not open shot. Maybe I think it is open. Okay. But anyway, I am very curious what would happen if you tried to use VR on Linux. I don't know if that's even a thing. Um, I actually did a little bit of research and it seems to be a thing, but even if I can do that, my premier gaming is a flight simulator. And that's, which is, Yeah. From Microsoft, Windows only. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, maybe I could try running it on Proton, but I wouldn't count on that work. Yeah. So I am curious what would happen if I tried to do VR on Linux. And the performance hit would probably but be the nutty. The real problem is that the machine that I run Windows on, that I do my gaming on, doesn't have enough, uh, it doesn't have a large enough hard drive to really efficiently dual boot and still have enough high speed storage for both operating systems. So, yeah, yeah. I could probably do it. I could tinker with it, maybe swapping a different hard drive, a different S- a different uh, NVMe drive into the laptop and run it on that. But, you know, I don't know. All right, so we've gone on about this for a bit. Again, I don't know how I'm going to edit this into an audio show, but we'll figure that out. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of jibber-jabber. But uh, what I think we're going to do, unless you have some final thoughts, I think we're going to go to the break. And then we'll come back with the news. What do you think? I, yeah, I I think that's fine. All right, folks. So if this does end up being released audio, uh, then be sure to check out the second half of the show if you want to catch the news in our chat and stuff. And we will be back. For those of you on the live stream, we'll be back momentarily. So yep. let me go and switch here and we'll be back. 